cool summer and hot summer, and that was about it. And uh, Christmas time was was uh, um, every year I, I looked forward to the day I'd step out of the house and and it was like 60 degrees, and I could get my big winter coat out, you know, because it was 60 degrees. And uh, there were a few nights it would drop down in the 40s maybe, but it'd be you know 80 degrees by 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, and the sun would come up. But uh, it didn't have a lot of the seasons, but always looked forward to Christmas. I remember as a kid, uh, some of the, the memories of, of growing up, and uh, we didn't, since we were in Florida, we didn't have a fireplace because uh, you didn't need one in Florida. You know, you didn't have anything. To, but my mom and dad had bought a, somewhere they'd bought a cardboard fireplace that you would pop up a three-dimensional, and it had a little light bulb had a little spinny thing on top that made it look like flames and stuff. And, man, I couldn't wait every year to pull that thing out and set it up and decorate the Christmas tree. And, and then they had bought a little, um, little manger scene. And I'll never forget putting that up on the, on the uh, uh, table there. We didn't have a mantle, so we had a little table that we'd decorate up there. And uh, you put all the little characters in there, the Mary and Joseph and the baby and uh, then the animals, and then all the shepherds, and then this one even had wise men, even though probably the wise men weren't at the stable. They were probably uh, in Nazareth. But uh, anyway, all of that to say this, we grow up with an image of what the birth of Christ is like. We grow up quoting Luke chapter number 2. There's a lot of things in Luke chapter number 2, but there are some things that are not in Luke chapter number 2 that we claim that are there, we think they are there, we read into the story, let's put it that way, and it's not really there. It's You don't find it in Scripture. And uh, so I want to share with you some things, and I'm sure some of you have heard this before, but I had a fellow come to me, it's been probably close to 20 years ago now, when I was down in Florida, and uh, he handed me a little piece of paper long about Christmas time. He said, Brother Greg, have you ever heard of this? And uh, it was a little paper that talked about the Tower of the Flock. And I'd never heard such a thing in my life. I was like, this is heresies. What, what kind of fella came up with this thing? And I began to read the paper, and I began to read Scripture. And lo and behold, it's in there. And it was something that I had never heard before. And uh, kind of is exciting as you read about it and study what, it, what it's all about. Uh, it's exciting to see what God has done. The, the Christmas story just kind of jumps off the pages to you and comes alive. And so I want to take a few moments to spend a little bit of time talking about this through Scripture. We're going to look at some Scripture and uh, see how God just so perfectly planned the Christmas time and the time for the Lord Jesus Christ to be born. I don't know that He was born in December. A lot of uh, Bible scholars believe it was probably somewhere in April or so of the year, but this is the time of year we choose to celebrate it and focus on it. And um, we think about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are, first of all, let me just mention real quick, because in case you ever go to your Bible maps or something like that, you, you'll see that there are two Bethlehems <laughs> that are cities. Uh, one of them is up uh, by the Sea of Galilee and close to Nazareth. That is not the Bethlehem. Uh, of the Bible that it speaks of when it talks about the birth of Lord Jesus Christ. The Bethlehem that is spoken of in Scripture for the birth of Lord Jesus Christ is right outside the gates of Jerusalem and uh, is in the valley called the Valley of Ephrath. You'll find that the Bible also, I believe, refers to it as the shepherd's field or something along that line. We'll look at it in here in Scripture in just a few minutes. But um, uh, it's just outside of the gates of Jerusalem. If you travel to uh, the Holy Land today, and go. you can still go to that Bethlehem. 
However, the Bethlehem that exists today is about uh, probably a mile and a half, two miles offset. The city has kind of migrated uh, a distance from some of the older parts of Bethlehem. The old gates uh, have been archaeologically uncovered. They've already found where the gates of the old Bethlehem were and uh, several other archaeological discoveries that they've found there. Um, and we're going to look at those things uh, tonight. But this, this Bethlehem that is spoken of where the Lord Jesus Christ was born is, according to the book of Micah, it says, And thou, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, meaning that it's the Bethlehem that is overlooking the field of Ephrath. Uh, and so we know which Bethlehem that it's talking about here. Now, if you look at Genesis chapter number 23, we're going to be talking a little bit here. Uh, and bear with me, we're going to have a little bit of a Bible study first, and then we're going to get to Luke chapter number 2. And when we read Luke chapter number 2 this time through, after we have our little Bible study here, I think it will jump off the page at you. Some things will really start to make some sense in Luke 2 that maybe we've never thought about or never seen before. The Bible says in verse number 1, Genesis chapter 23, And Sarah was 120, uh, 107 and 20 years Old And these were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us, and the choice of our sepulchres bury thy dead. So they said, look, you take your pick. You can have the best of the best. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulcher, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. And, com and he communed with them, saying, if, I be, uh, if it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me to Ephron the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, uh, which, he hath, which, which he hath, which is in the end of his field. For as much money as it is worth, he shall give it me for a possession of a bearing place amongst you. And Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the audience of the children of Heth, even uh, of all that went in at the gate of the city, saying, Nay, my lord, hear me, the field give I thee, and the cave that is therein I give it thee. In the presence of the sons of my people give I it thee, bury thy dead. And Abraham bowed down himself before the people of the land, and he spake unto Ephron in the audience of the people of the land, saying, But if thou wilt give it, I pray thee, hear me, I will give thee money for the field, take it of me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying unto him, My Lord, hearken unto me, the land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy dead. And Abraham hearkened unto Ephraim. And Abraham weighed to Ephraim the silver, which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, current money, with the merchant. And the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, uh, which was before Mamre, the field, and the cave, which was therein, and all the trees that were in the field, and were in all the borders round about, were made sure unto Abraham, for a possession in the presence of the children of Heth. Before all that went in at the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah's wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is therein we made sure unto Abraham for a possession of a bearing place by the sons 
of Heth. So we find that Abraham buys from Ephron, this valley of Ephron, uh, Ephrath, uh, owned by Ephron. Uh, he buys it for a burying place, and so it becomes a possession, something that Abraham owns. And him being a sojourner, uh, one of the few things that Abraham ever owned uh, during his lifetime. Now look with me in Genesis chapter number 49, and uh, we're going to see a little bit more of a description of this. And then we're going to jump back to a little bit of uh, the story of Jacob. Genesis chapter number 49 and verse number 29. Uh, the Bible says, And he charged them and said unto them, I, uh, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field uh, bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for possession of a burying place. And so we find that Abraham had purchased this as a burying place. Now, Isaac comes along, and uh, Isaac and Rebekah, and they uh, die, and they are also buried in this burying place. And then Jacob comes along, and Jacob and Rachel. And look with me now in Genesis chapter number 35. This is a very important part uh, of this whole uh, idea of what's going on here. Genesis chapter number 35, and we're going to begin reading in verse number uh, 16. Let me get my pages unstuck here. Verse number 16. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. So again, uh, the valley of Ephrath that Abraham had purchased for the burying place. Um, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath, and Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benani, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is, what's the next word there? Bethlehem. All right, interesting. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave, Unto this day, and Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. Somewhere between the time that Abraham purchased this valley and made it sure. If you remember back when we read about it in verse number, chapter 23, two different times it says that they made the property sure. They guarded it, they protected it. But sometime between the time that Abraham purchased that area and the time that Jacob buries Rachel there, there is a, a tower, it was either there when Abraham bought it and it just wasn't mentioned, or it was built during that time period. There was a tower that was built. They called here the Tower of Edar. Uh, the Hebrew name for it is Migdal Edar. When the English translators translate our King James Version, they accurately, very, very under the inspiration or the preservation of the Holy Spirit guiding them, accurately translated it as the Tower of Edar, which is what it literally means. Uh, it's a tower, it's a, a large uh, defensive uh, type of a castle type thing that was built there, and it's there at the time of Jacob. Uh, so understanding this, that um, it was built sometime before Jacob traveled there uh, from Bethel. Now, from Jacob's time, there are several other generations that take place, and then we come to a fellow by the name of Boaz. Some of us are familiar with Boaz in Scripture. And Boaz, uh, if you take time to read the book of Ruth, and we're not going to read all of that tonight, but Boaz has a threshing floor, and the threshing floor is located there 
uh, in Bethlehem. They are part of the lineage and the house of, of David and, and part of that line. And uh, Boaz is in the line of the Messiah. And Ruth goes and um, sees Boaz and, and meets with him. And in fact, let's just take a minute to look there. Let's go to the book of Ruth. I was going to save this for a little bit later on, but let's go ahead and go there now. <clears throat> Ruth chapter 3, and I want us to take a look at this very quickly. If I can get there, there we go. Ruth chapter number 3, we're going to begin, um, let's start in uh, verse number 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz our kindred, with uh, with whose maidens thou wast? So remember, she's been going and gleaning from the field of Boaz. He saw her and liked her, and he said, look, I want to leave a little extra there. You remember the story. So verse number 2, Behold, he went with barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he have done eating and drinking. And it shall be, when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. Now, you say, Brother Greg, why is that important? Because Boaz has a threshing floor, and during the time of harvesting the wheat, they lived there. They stayed and lodged and ate at the threshing floor. In fact, in, in studying a lot of this, and there's, uh, if somebody comes and says, Brother Greg, I, I've, I don't know that I agree fully with that, but from the best I can tell from studying historically, the, the idea of an inn, which was a place where you could get food and lodging, began with these threshing floors. When people would travel to their home property, to their family property in droves for maybe a census or perhaps some kind of a taxation, they would all stay on the family property. Boaz's threshing floor has actually been uncovered archaeologically. It's about a 40 by 80 oval-shaped depression in the ground where they would beat and trot out the barley and the wheat, and then they would throw the chaff up in the air and all of the things that the Bible describes about doing that. On several sides of it are some cliff walls, and in those cliff walls they have large cutouts, about 8 foot by 8 foot cubed. Uh, to be able to take the wheat and the barley and to store it after it's been threshed in these bins. Sometimes the cave wall uh, in some places is actually so deep that they actually cut hallways uh, to go back into secondary rooms. And oftentimes when it was in time of harvest and they were threshing, also during times where many of the family would travel and meet there, This was where the family would stay. They would stay in these rooms, these little caves, if you will, these little cutouts in the cliff walls. And uh, as best I can tell, this is where the idea of a place for food and lodging for people that were transient, that were traveling, began, the idea of this. Uh, Later on, it, it transitions into an inn. Now, some people will say, Brother Greg, that may be stretching it pretty far. I've looked at it historically And it seems to be the natural progression of it. Again, I'm not going to split hairs over that particular issue because I don't have enough to spare. Uh, So if you disagree with me on that, that's fine. I I know in my heart, in my mind, I've studied enough of the history of how this came about that it seems to me that that's where the whole idea of an inn, not just a motel, 
but an inn where you would go and you would get food, you would get lodging, and you would stay there. Those began by having travelers come and stay at these places where multiple families would gather and they would stay and have something to eat. They would be able to camp and have a place of lodging out of, uh, out of the weather. And uh, so we, we, we do know where uh, Boaz's threshing floor is in the old uh, Bethlehem. They've actually uncovered the ruins. A friend of mine has actually been there and has actually put eyes on it, has actually seen this, uh, the ruins of it and what's left of it. And it's pretty impressive, pretty amazing from the description that he's given to me. And um, so there's an idea here that, uh, that there's a good chance that when everybody traveled for the census in Luke chapter 2, that that's where they went to, Boaz's threshing floor. And uh, the family stayed there uh, as a group and as a family. Now, look with me, if you will, in First Chronicles. And for sake of time tonight, we're not going to be able to look at all of Scripture uh, on this. There's quite a bit more. And if you're interested in studying this further, the Bible has is, is got a lot more to say about this. Um, but let's look in First Chronicles chapter number 11. We're going to stretch a, a few generations forward again from the time of Boaz. And we're going to move into the time of David now. The time of David. Again, this is a very important piece of land. Uh, it's right outside the gates of Jerusalem, um, just across from Mount Moriah. And uh, what, a, what an amazing thought, all of that picture. I, I wish we had time to develop, and maybe we'll take a two- or three-week series in January or something and do a, a study on that. But how Mount Moriah ties into all of this is, is an amazing thought. But look with me, if you will, in First Chronicles chapter number 11 and verse number 4. And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jabus, where the Jebusites were the inhabitants of the land. So at this point, the Jebusites are the ones that uh, have taken over the possession of the land. Um, they're kind of in control of it. And the inhabitants of Jabus said to David, Thou shalt not come hither. Nevertheless, David took, notice this, the castle of Zion, which is the city of David. So this castle, this tower, if you will, that's been built there, uh, before Jacob's time, David comes, and he now resides in this castle. He expands it. He builds onto it. He expands the city round about it. And the Bible tells us about that here. In verse number 7, And David dwelt in the castle, therefore they called it the city of David. And he built the city round about, even from Milo round about, and Joab repaired the rest of the city. So David waxed greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. Notice this. These also are the chief of the mighty men. Uh, see, where did I, uh, did I get the right, I may not have gotten it. Give me just a minute, make sure I'm, uh, okay, I'm sorry. Verse number seven is where I wanted to go. And David dwelt in the castle, therefore they called it the city of David. So this is the point, the time where Bethlehem gets the title or the phrase or the, 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 the idea, the identity of being the city of David. It comes from this particular event where David comes to this area in the Valley of Ephrath. He goes into the tower, the castle of Zion, the tower that's there, and he dwells there and he expands the city. And that city at this point, in, in this particular instance, now becomes known from this point forward as the city of David. Uh, very important. So we know that we're talking here about the same location, the, the Valley of Ephrath, you can call it Bethlehem. You can call it the city of David. All of it is, is in close proximity here. It all is bundled together so that we understand this. Now, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Micah, chapter number 5. 
Micah's towards the back of the book uh, of the Old Testament, if you're not familiar. I think it's five books, maybe, before the end of the Old Testament, something like that. So if you go to Matthew and go back four or five books, you should be there. All right, look with me in Micah chapter number 5. And this is where it starts to get a little bit exciting. Micah chapter number 5. In verse number 2, the Bible says, and this is a very familiar Christmas verse. A lot of people use this. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah. So out of the two Bethlehems, which one are we talking about here? The one in the valley of Ephrath. All right? It tells us very specifically. And thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be the ruler in Israel whose going forth goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So we understand which Bethlehem is being talked about here. We're going to back up one chapter into chapter number 4. Look in verse number 8. And thou, O tower of the flock. Now where are we located at this point? We're in the valley of Ephrath, the little hill that rises in the city of Bethlehem, the tower that's there. The tower that was mentioned as the Tower of Edar in the Old Testament now is known as the Tower of the Flock. Why the Tower of the Flock? It's also the, the Castle of Zion that was spoken of that David dwelt in. Why the Tower of the Flock? Well, let's take a look here. And thou, O Tower of the Flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why dost thou cry out aloud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. Isn't that interesting? Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon. There shalt thou be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. The Tower of the Flock was a, a place where the sacrificial lambs were born and inspected. The lambs that were to be offered in the temple just outside of Jerusalem in the Valley of Ephrath, also known as the Shepherd's Field, and the tower overlooks it, there would be shepherds that would tend the flocks, and the only shepherds that would tend the flocks all night long and never go to sleep were the priestly shepherds, they called them Levitical shepherds, they had to be purified, the, the priests did, to even perform the duty of watching over these lambs. These lambs had to be born, they had to be inspected by the chief Levitical shepherd, and they had to be certified as without spot and without blemish. And when a lamb was born in the tower of the flock, which had to be perfectly clean, it had to be kosher because these were sacrificial lambs. This wasn't a dirty stable with a bunch of cows milling around and a, and a bunch of uh, dirt and trash all over the floor. This is a very clean place. These lambs would be born. They would be inspected by the, high, the, the chief Levitical shepherd that was over all of them that were there watching over the sacrificial lambs. And when a sheep was found to be without spot, without blemish, they did something that no other shepherd would do. They would take the lamb and they would wrap them and swaddle them in cloth to keep them perfect. 
to keep them from being blemished. And they would lay them in a manger or on the, the manger area where the ewe could come and the, 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 the lamb could nurse and feed. Not a stable, but a manger. You won't find the word stable in Luke chapter number 2. It's not there. You'll find manger. Lord, a lamb that was certified to be without spot and without blemish was born. They would wrap them in cloth, swaddle them. And then the chief Levitical shepherd would go to the top of the castle. And he would light a torch. And a light that would show people that there was a lamb that was worthy of sacrifice that had just been born. Now, if you will, go with me to Luke chapter number 2. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the, what's the next phrase here? City of David. We know from First Chronicles that that's Bethlehem and Ephrathah. We know that that's known now as the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. Is anything in our Bible by mistake? Is it in there by mistake? Why would they put this in there? It's important for us to know that he was of the house and lineage of David because we had to know where he would have gone. As soon as he came into town, the first place he would go would be to his family's property to seek for lodging, to seek for a place for shelter. To be taxed with Mary as a spouse, wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son. Wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It's a little word in verse number 7 that I think is very important. It's a little three-letter word. And it's the word the. Notice it doesn't say, for there was no room for them in an inn. There was only one that it spoke of. A definite article here. The inn. The Jews of that time knew exactly what it was speaking of. They knew exactly what it was talking about. There's no need to express it other than the end. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. That, key, that phrase is key. Most other shepherds, when nighttime would fall, they would take their sheep and run them into a fold, and then they would lay down and go to sleep. But not the Levitical shepherds. They kept watch all night long. They had to make sure that those lambs were never blemished. And so they would watch them throughout the night and stay awake. The Bible says, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone right about them. 
They were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, clothes, lying in a manger. Now, we're going to come back to verse 13 here in just a second. Look with me in verse 15. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Isn't it amazing they didn't go searching through the city? They came with haste. They knew right where to go. Swaddling clothes, manger. And when they had seen, uh, uh, came with haste my Mary and Joseph and the babe lying, and when they had seen it, they made note abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. I want us to go back to verse number 13 for a moment. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward me. And this is a thought that struck me a couple Christmases ago. And I'll tell you, I have a hard time thinking on this because it brings such conviction to my heart. Here are these angels. I don't know how many of them come, but it says the heavenly hosts. We don't know who the angel of the Lord was that first appeared to him, but in chapter number 1 of Luke, the Bible speaks of an angel of the Lord that comes to Elizabeth, and they ask who he is, and he says, I'm Gabriel. Could be Gabriel, maybe a different one. But this angel of the Lord comes and brings the announcement. I can't help but think that the rest of the angels in heaven are all sitting there on a hair trigger. They're just waiting. And man, when that angel gets done giving the announcement, boy, it says suddenly, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. And this thought hit me. The angels did not benefit anything. By the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't get any blessing from it. They didn't get any, they didn't get any benefit from it. They didn't need to be saved. And yet here they are, so excited. They're praising God. And they're raising this up to the shepherds and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And this thought struck me a couple of years ago. If the angels can praise God that much. And they didn't even benefit from it. How much more should my tongue be loosed to give praise to God? I who gained everything. This wonderful tower of the flock, we begin to read Luke chapter number 2. And all of a sudden, it, it jumps off the page at us. The Bible says that Jesus was a lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. About about 30 years later, John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan River. And he lifted up his eyes, and here comes Jesus. And John said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The night that Jesus was born, the light was lit, the star came 
to illuminate that there was a lamb worthy of sacrifice. He was born in a place where the sacrificial lambs were born. He was inspected by the chief Levitical shepherd and found without blemish. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was laid in a manger. The light was lit, signifying there was one worthy of salvation. The book of Micah in chapter number 4 talks about the woman in travail. talks about how they had to flee to Babylon to be redeemed from their enemies. In the time of Micah, the Babylonian Empire extended all the way down into Egypt. In the time of Micah's time, he saw that prophetically and saw that that was a, a place where they were going to have to flee. So we know that chapter number 4 is speaking here of the Lord Jesus Christ and His birth. We know that it's speaking of them having to flee to Egypt to escape Herod. In the time of Ezekiel, he talks about Nebuchadnezzar going down, the, the guy that was the king of Babylon at the time, going down and conquering Egypt, Ezekiel chapter number 30. So we know that Egypt was part of Babylon. I sell that to say this, that the Lord Jesus Christ was born not just in some old nasty manger stable in the back of a barn somewhere, He was born exactly where God intended for the sacrificial lambs to be born, thus fulfilling the prophetic requirements of a lamb that was without spot and without blemish. He had gone through all of the necessary things to be a sacrificial lamb. And the message is this, and I love it, in verse number 17 of Luke chapter number 2. And when they had seen it, they what? They did what? They made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Verse number 20, the Bible says, And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Can I tell you this? If the shepherds who were there that night and saw the wonderful fulfillment of God's promise to us, if they could not help but tell the things that they had seen and heard, how much more should you and I who have experienced the benefits of that promise go around? And when they had seen it, the Bible says, they made known abroad. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I could make known abroad the wonderful news of the gospel story? That Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to condemn us. We were already condemned. He came to save us. That's the good news of the gospel story. I spent some time reading a lot over the last few weeks. Didn't have much else to do. My heart broke. So I began to see how wicked the world is that we live in today. How many people who deny God's existence. They despise it. They, any, any talk of it. And I thought, you know, if some Christians who would take the light that was lit over 2,000 years ago and reflect it in their lives 
and make known abroad the things that they had seen and heard. What a difference it would make on this earth. In the similitudes, Jesus said, Ye are the light of the world. Whether we choose to or not, we've been given that great responsibility. And it's not our light. John chapter 1 speaks of that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was light, a life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You and I have the wonderful privilege to reflect the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one that was lit so many years ago, saying, Worthy is this Lamb for sacrifice, without spot, without blemish, perfect in every way. Oh, that we would read the story of Christmas with a lot more understanding, I guess, would be the word, than just the little manger scene that we sit on top of our mantle. We would understand the significance of, of all that God did when the Lord Jesus Christ was born. In two days, we get to celebrate this. I doubt that this was the day that He was actually born on, but it's the day we've chosen to celebrate it. There's going to be a lot of presents, there's going to be a lot of family, and there's nothing wrong, I think, with those things. But in the midst of all of it, can we take a few moments and quiet our hearts and our minds and thank God for a lamb that was given. Oh, what a wonderful time of year. I love it. I love it. The more I think and dwell on it, the more I study on it and think about the things that God has done, it's a wonder how perfect He's done everything. How well He's done it. And it all fits exactly the way His Word says it should. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we're so thankful. We're so grateful tonight. Lord, when we think about the wonderful salvation that you've brought to us in such a miraculous way, Lord, all the way back in the time of Abraham, the seeds were being sown, the plans were being laid all throughout the Old Testament. We see your hand at work to bring about a specific and a precise time a specific and a precise location for a specific and a precise reason to accomplish Your will of providing a Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, a Lamb without spot and without blemish, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Lord, what a joy it is to our hearts as we reflect, we reflect on these things at Christmas time. May we as the shepherds go and spread abroad the things that we have seen and heard that we would share this gospel story everywhere we go. Father, dismiss us with your blessings. Give us safety as we travel back to our homes. May we enjoy this time of year with our family and our friends. But most of all, Lord, may we give thanks to you for what you have done for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.